0: I'm really happy to be here today to introduce you all to Nolan Monteufel, who I met through um, some comments on my channel. His comments were very intriguing and uh, I couldn't quite understand them. So I thought, well, it'd be good to talk to him and and have him explain them to me. And uh, Nolan, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. I know you're an electrical engineer and you work on the printed circuit board aspect of engineering. And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you came to do that like maybe how you grew up and what led you into that field and then and then what got you interested in the channel and commenting on the channel sort of take it from there
1: okay well first of all uh thank you for uh inviting me on as a guest and um uh i've uh i've actually just had a little bit of nervousness right now um (laughs) being introduced uh um, I just want to let you know I'm very grateful to be here and well, um, I'm, re- I'm really happy uh, that
0: you're willing to come and talk because um, I always learn yeah. so much from the people that are watching the channel.
1: Yeah, uh, so uh, a little bit about myself. So I'm an electrical engineer. Um, I um, what I love about electrical engineering is a little bit outdated. Uh, it's the circuit that uh, were kind of the golden era in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, uh, that was what I read as a kid, um, and so uh, designing circuits with ICs uh, is something that comes I, I find comes naturally to me, at least in an intuitive sense.
0: IC um, is the integrated circuit.
1: Yeah, integrated circuits. And my husband, um, my
0: husband was a chip guy for many years
1: really yeah. okay yeah. so he got so, to design them
0: uh no no he was in marketing but okay he worked for many years well he worked for many years in telecom and then networking and routing and then chips and now he's on the wi-fi end of things but um i've heard the terminology my whole life so yeah basics and ic and all that kind of stuff yeah
1: interesting so um Uh, first of all, like out in California, Silicon Valley, there's, I know there's a lot of marketing people, uh, in the, uh, semiconductor space. Mm -hmm. Um, but the story that came to mind when you mentioned that was, um, the five, five, five timer, um, wouldn't exist unless, um, it was first embraced by the marketing person that it was pitched to, um. So that's a long story. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, anyways, but yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Anyways. Um, yeah. So, a little bit about myself electrical engineer. Um, I was introduced to electronics at like age 14. Um, and so I just read a bunch of stuff from the library uh, and uh, anything I could get my hands on. That was before the internet for myself. So, uh, it was all it was all through books and magazines. Um, and, um, yeah. And so I just, uh, pay attention and read a lot of stuff and, and, um, spend, uh, hours listening to, to conversations on YouTube. Um, seeing what people are talking about these days and then, um, met a couple people through the comment section. And then one of them showed me, uh, some of your videos and I, I, found them very, uh, intriguing. Um, and then I read the, um, the about section on your channel and, um, um, I just really enjoyed it. I was like, wow, you know, and more because it, it lists your, uh, your interests. And, uh, it's not very often that you find someone with, uh, philosophical interests, uh, scientific interests, um, uh, and then also, uh, like artistic, uh, interests um so um yeah but um man i i got i'm a little starstruck sorry (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's so funny i'm just an ordinary person i'm just i'm just an ordinary person when i started this channel i started it at the the kind of um recommendation of paul Vanderclay. i don't know if you've run into his work at all
2: Uh uh-uh
0: he um he got started in youtube about 5 years ago maybe when he got interested in Jordan Peterson and um so he started making videos about Jordan Peterson and mm-hmm. I was interested in Jordan Peterson at the same time and I ran into Paul's stuff and and so then I was on Paul's channel one time and then he said why don't you start a channel he said anybody can start a channel <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I asked my daughter who at the time was like 23 or something and she was really into all this stuff. I said, help me start a channel. So she got me set up and that's it. I'm just an ordinary person. Um, I have had the extraordinary opportunity to talk to a lot of very, very interesting people, but I'm just an ordinary person. So no need to be starstruck.
2: (laughs) No, well,
0: uh... um, but I want to go back to what you said about, um, when you're 14, you started reading books on electronics and um, yeah. and then that got you interested in electrical engineering. So you went to college, somewhere along the line, you also developed an interest in philosophy and art. So how did that happen?
1: Oh, okay. Well, so um, my parents decided to homeschool my siblings and I around 1999, um, 98, 99. And I was uh, uh, going into sixth grade. Um, so, uh, so from sixth grade through the end of high school, um, my education was pretty much self-administered. Um, my parents would slide a stack of textbooks across the table maybe once a year and say, you, you should go through these in the next year. Um, that was your homeschooling. So, <laughs> that that was the homeschooling, wow. uh, and in wow. tex- and in Texas, there's no um, requirements on academic um, uh, uh, integrity is the wrong word rigor,
2: uh-huh. um,
1: maybe. Um, so um, so a couple of years in, Dad was like, yeah, I want to make sure y'all are learning something, so he had us take the SAT, you know. And so it's like, okay, cool. But other than that, there was like no feedback on if I was actually learning anything. Um, so I was really just learning the things that I wanted to learn, um, which was math and uh, uh, electronics. Um,
0: well, obviously, in order and, to do that, you had to learn to read well and to think and all of those things. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to learn math and electronics, right?
1: Right, right. Well, I did, I did have a fifth grade level yeah. of uh, spelling and, and reading. Um, but, uh, I didn't read any Shakespeare. I didn't, you know, if I wasn't interested in it, I didn't go pursue it. Um, so and, uh, this is a
0: personal question, which you don't have to answer, but some sure. people might say they feel a lack because of things that they missed out on. Do, do you feel that you missed out on something or do you feel it was a um, benefit to you to, be I, able to pursue your interests?
1: Uh, I've hyper analyzed it. Um. And I'm not sure, um, I, I would say yes, but maybe in ways people don't expect, or maybe in ways they do expect, but the way I would phrase it or the, the perspective might be different than they would expect. Um, so, and then a lot of it may just be, um, you know, myself and like how I process things. Because yeah. you could take two different people, put them in the same situation, and they'll experience it differently. Yeah. Um So, so in an, uh, so in an educational environment where I'm kind of left alone, um, uh, to pursue things, uh, I find things and I pursue them. Um, whereas maybe some people wouldn't be the same way. Um, so yeah. So I would say there are. Uh, downsides to being uh, educated um, outside of a classroom, um, mm-hmm. and um, and so those are just stuff you'd have to consider on a case by case basis with the people you're you're looking at or talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
0: but I yeah, don't well, know. I, I'm very- I homeschooled my older daughter um, when she went into st- starting from seventh grade. But we had a we had a pretty rigorous curriculum that was developed that that had the whole thing laid out. But what she did was she took a look at the whole curriculum before she started, and she's it was six year curriculum. She said, "I think I can do this in five years." And so she just set herself self, the task of finishing it in five years or four and a half years. So that got her motivated to work really really hard so it wouldn't take her so long. <laughs> so but she often felt that she missed out because she didn't get a lot of rigorous science because it was mostly from the book there wasn't any lab work right part of that was because we were traveling a lot as um getting prepared as missionaries to go overseas and so we were on the road quite a bit
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but i felt like she she did see some lack in what she got out of that but um but there are advantages to homeschooling, too, because, you know, you can do field trips. You can spend time with people who are expert in the things that you're interested in and uh, all of that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You have more control mm-hmm. uh, over your environment and your opportunities. Um, and uh, what one of the things so one of the things as a am uh, in my mid 30s. So I've been able to process it as an adult for a while. Uh, One of the things I've recently realized is if I think back uh, to uh, first to fifth grade, I can remember things that um, I learned last in the class. right? So when it came to spelling words for the first time in first grade, uh, I was like the last one in the classroom to kind of learn the spellings of certain words mm. um i was playing a, i was playing a different game with the alphabet it was up there in the top of the room you know i was playing a different game with it um and, and uh, everybody else was spelling words and I, it, I was like the last one to catch on to that game um so uh and that that kind of was a consistent um pattern of um you know, kind of activity in the classroom, I think, I think I was the last one to learn the game everybody else was playing. Um, and so from sixth grade through 12th grade, like that's a lot of, uh, you know, catching up to people that never happened. Um, so, um, so anyway, so that may be my secret um, talent, I guess, is just thinking in a different way, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, Yeah, well, I can see why
0: homeschooling would be very, really good for somebody like you, because, you know, that's the kind of a mind like someone like Einstein has where they're just completely thinking about a different kind of world. And in in our world, you get in trouble for that, right? I mean, I remember getting my knuckles wrapped i i'm from back in the day when the teacher had a triangular ruler and they'd come around with that and smack your knuckles because they wanted you to be listening and my mind was off somewhere else i was thinking about all kinds of things you know? yeah yeah uh
1: one time uh the teacher uh sent a note home to my parents saying i didn't know how to read and uh i forget what grade i was in and uh my parents decided to test it right so like hey nolan you know how to read, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, I know how to read. And they're like, can you re- read out of this book right here? And it's like a there's a story book about a dog or something. And it was kind of a boring story, so I started making up a story that kind of followed the line of the. And they're like, no, 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 read what it says. And uh, and so I like forced myself to read what it said. And um, they're like, yeah, see, he knows how to read. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. But anyways, um. Yeah. So, anyway, so a lot of lot of um, childhood stuff that could be thought of and
2: mm-hmm. and
1: analyzed and hyperanalyzed. In 2012, I came up with a joke. Um, it was um, or maybe it's 2013, but um, uh, basically, if someone says that you're over analyzing a situation, what that means is there's an appropriate amount of analysis. And what that means is um, you should be able to measure analysis as it's exerted over time Mm -hmm. or on a problem. And, um, And you should be able to catalog or build a memory of all the analysis that has been exerted for given problems. And then you should be able to compare different problems and then come up with uh, like an appropriate amount of analysis for a particular problem. And then you should be able to observe analysis being exerted on pretty much all problems and come up with uh, evaluations, which are over analysis, under analysis, proper analysis. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Right? Yeah. And
0: the reason that jumps out at me is that Jordan Peterson is, is, is always making the statement when some, somebody says some stupid thing, he'll say they're approaching it from the wrong level of analysis. Now, he doesn't mean over or under, but he means there are appropriate levels at which to analyze things. You, you have to analyze things in the right category for a certain purpose, that there is there are purposes for analysis. And you can't just this have scattershot analysis and then come up with some idea and think that it fits in a particular situation. Cause there's gotta be a context for it. Right. Uh-huh. So for you analyzing yourself, that's a very personal context. I don't see how anybody could ever say to you, well, that's over or under.
2: <laughs> right. Right. But,
0: but I mean, we, we can get ourselves all tangled up. So, I mean, maybe that's what they meant by over analysis that, that you were. Yeah. Getting yourself kind of tangled up right i mean i can certainly do that about myself get tangled up in in uh stuff but
2: yeah huh
0: yeah i i like that uh, because it, what the picture that you just drew about you should be able to make this kind of matrix of appropriate levels over and under and all that i sort of see the whole world operating that way it Like one of the things I'm interested in is, as everybody knows, I, I'm beating this dead horse is, is uh, Michael Levin and his work with cells and biology and these cells are search. First of all, I mean, I think it's such a miracle that cells differentiate. You start out with all these cells the same, and then they differentiate out into heart cells and skin cells and, you know, lung cells and whatever. That's amazing, but once they differentiate, then they have to, to build the thing that they are made to build. Well, it's sort of like they're searching some sort of possibility space to find out to make this thing. There, there has to be some, something over and under that's a space like that, that they're searching inside of. In the same way that when you're trying to think your way through something, there's some sort of a structure inside your head that's built out of all of your past experiences and all of your reading and all of your friendships and everything. And you're searching that possibility space to connect things together. Right. I sort of think the whole world is built that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, First of all, I agree. (laughs) Um, And then um, uh, the next, thing to kind of touch on is uh, um, 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 I think what may separate your, your brilliant philosophers from your um, average is when is the brilliant will know when to stop asking questions and just uh, feel comfortable not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe create a game or a story at the level that they understand, um, and then proceed from that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, since my background is electrical, uh, I actually took no biology or chemistry classes before college. so um, so I can't speak uh, with any um, certainty, even about um, cells or how they behave. Um, but, um, but anyways, all that to say, uh, electricity and electronics, magnetism, um, the game, uh, I, I think most of it is based on a game of um, uh, flow equals conductivity times potential, um, which is just a, uh, I think it's anyways, um, yeah, Eh, boy, that, that's hard to, sorry, that's, that's too far out. Um, but, um, um, but yeah, so, um, so Michael Levin's work in biology cells, knowing what the, what the, what the overall plan is, um, well, so, I
0: mean, it, his work in biology is irrelevant to the idea that, that I'm trying to understand that's inside my head because even though I had biology in high school and in college, in my undergraduate work, it wasn't for a major or anything. It was just the general thing. And I think my education was really so poor that I didn't learn much of anything. So anything at all that I know about biology, I got from helping my daughters when they were going through school or from, uh, from watching YouTube videos courageously for the last five years i mean there's a lot to be gotten from that but but there's so much inside any one of these fields if you even take just one little portion of a field and then if you do a deep dive there's an endless amount of stuff that you can spend your life learning right so
1: um so so i do i do have an elaborate um kind of uh view of looking at stuff Um, very useful in thinking through stuff that uh, like Michael Levin talks about, Mm -hmm. at least it's useful for myself. Um, But it's all just based on a game that I start at an imaginary level with uh, a source, a conductor and a flow through the conductor due to the source, um, which is natural to me because of uh, electricity uh, and Okay, and so let me magnetism. read that
0: back to you: a source, sure. a conductor, and a yep. flow. Correct. That flows through the conductor because of the source.
1: Yes, that's correct. And that's the game I I feel like uh, scientists and engineers have been playing with uh, electricity and magnetism um, uh, at least since Ohm. Uh, So for a while, and I I honestly think it's just a game.
0: So when you use the word game, what do you mean by that?
1: Uh, I mean, if you ask further questions, um, you're gonna come up with a, I don't really know. Um, And so you get to choose whether or not you wanna play the game or not. It's not mandatory. Um,
0: oh, so like when they so, when when somebody starts talking about gravity and and gravity obeys these certain laws and you can measure it this way and blah 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 and then you say what is gravity and they say I I don't really know I just know it functions this way <laughs> kind of like that
1: absolutely yeah okay. so for electricity it's all the electron um, right the electron and its motion. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when you ask, well, why does the electron move? You say, well, you know, like, because uh, there's a bunch of different situations where an electron can move, right? In a, a solar panel, uh, light will hit um, the, the semiconductor that's, you know, junctioned with another one. And they got different uh, concentrations of electrons on this one than that one. And the way that the energy hits, and it pushes it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it causes a flow at the junction. Um, Right. So there's a bunch of different reasons. But at the end of the day, it's an electron flowing through a conductor due to a source potential. Right. And uh, I I really don't know if it if it goes any more scientific than that game that everybody's just accepted uh, to play. Um, so like is why this, does it is move? the source
0: is the source potential always um, something that can be measured like light? I mean light so, can be measured. Is the source potential in this game something always something that can be measured? Uh, uh,
1: I believe all uh, all objects in the game can be measured. So you can count electrons
2: mm-hmm.
1: And you, you can measure space. And you can measure time. And so you can effectively count how many are moving, how fast over time. And then you can count how many are here versus how many are here versus how many are here. And then uh, voltage is simply the difference between counts uh, as a ratio of the, the distance between the counts, right? So, um, so you can basically uh, count and measure pretty much every, uh, element or parameter we're talking about. Um, but, uh, um, but, but if you ask why, right, like, why does, um, it behave certain ways? Um, I, and I think that's where the engineers stop asking those questions and they just go, we got it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, this is the equation. This is how it functions we can use this, we can build a machine, we can build a a higher complexity circuit um, using what we know. And for us, that's enough. Um, And so what I've done uh, over the past 10 years, so it started in 2012, um, I was a bad student, right? It started all because I was a bad student. Um, A professor assigned a task that was boring to me. So I just decided it's for extra credit. I'm not going to do it. I don't need the extra credit. It's kind of boring. Um, and my uh, roommate, who was also my classmate, we were walking the campus. It was like a 12-minute walk. And um, he's like, man, you should just do it. It's super easy. You just sit down and do it. And it's like I know how to do it. But I just didn't want to, right? And since I didn't want to, I felt like I couldn't. Um, and so what I described to my, uh, my roommate was that um, it's like Hook's Law, but for a people. So Hook's Law says the force a spring is exerting is equal to the spring's capability, spring's stiffness, uh, multiplied by the amount that it's stretched or compressed. And so I abstracted from that and said, uh, it's like the force I can exert to do the assignment is equal to how, wh- how much I'm able to do the assignment, which she was pointing out I was able, um, times how much I want to do the assignment. And since I don't want to, I feel like while I'm able, uh, the force I have to exert is zero because I don't want to. Um, so, so in 2012, I came up with this uh, explanation a roommate on why i'm not doing my homework right i'm a bad student it's really no more complex than that i'm just a bad student right but i made up this story of why i'm not going to do my homework and it used hook's law and i thought that was fun and i played with that for years and then about three years later i um uh came up with an equation for emotion um and then i uh like from there found a calculus framework of emotion space um, and then um, I started playing with um, like flows in emotion space um, and, and then only recently like in the last two years um, um, I've made progress connecting all these ideas in what I call emotion space to, um, to like the science that everybody else knows and loves um and um so the the game the game the fundamental game that i'm playing with connecting all all these ideas to all the ideas that everybody else knows and loves is uh the same one for electricity uh and magnetism which is uh, a source a conductor and a flow and uh in the analogy or the game Uh, that I'm playing to to connect all my crazy ideas to stuff people know and love, um, is let's say that um, knowledge or ideas um, are like the source. So they're in a domain, which is the source domain. And then let's say that um, all, um, uh, and I call it uh, Einsteinian space, which is just Mm -hmm. a crazy word. But basically all energy, matter, and then space and time are in this other space Um, because E equals MC squared. You have energy, matter, and then the speed of light is speed is a ratio of distance per time uh, squared. So you have space and time. Um, So it's like, okay, so we have energy, matter, space and time. That's great. But we don't have ideas. We don't have feelings. We don't have ambitions, capabilities, right? So okay, so the Einsteins helped us with giving us E equals MC squared. Now I'm just going to say, okay, all that stuff. Let's put that all in a domain, um, a space. I call it real space. Um, And then the uh, the last space, um, the flow space. uh, Oh yeah, and and that's the conductor space, right? So I have uh, a space for ideas a space for uh, all energy matter and space and time. Um, And then the third space is um, uh, uh, emotion space. And uh, to me, that's analogous to the flow space. Um, Yeah, so anyway, so idea space is like the source, real space is like the conductor and flow space is um, like emotion uh, emotion space
0: that's a really interesting framework because one of the things i've been trying over the course of five years to explain on my channel I, I don't talk about it very often because it's such a big idea in my head that i can't break it down in a way to talk about it but this gives me a, a sort of a format okay so the idea is the knowledge idea the idea space is the the painting comes into my head oh i want to represent this and so the idea is there and then the the real space the energy matter space and time is is the the time that takes place that's required to get the painting down on the on the or or to you know round up all the materials to figure out how I'm going to approach it to set up the constraints and the limitations that I, are going to help me to achieve what I want to achieve um, to determine the materials that I'm going to use to, Set up the particular palette that I'm going to use, find the brushes, all of these things, a substrate and all of that. That's all in this conductor space because that's the that's my action that I'm doing. Yeah. And the flow yeah. is the energy that's yeah. working in me that's making all of this fit together in a particular way that is more than what I could do on my own. There's something more that takes place in that process. And all of that something more is because of the original idea. Because the idea is there. The, the, the source potential is there. I can see what I need, but I have to keep with the flow. I have to keep always going back to the idea and determining, have I gotten there yet? No, I keep working. Have I gotten? I'm always referring back to that original thought and um yeah so i kind of think that's the way the universe is built that 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 structure is is the universe and there's a lot that takes place in that middle section yeah but um but the flow and the source are definitely yeah i like that picture yeah
1: uh if um if i could uh embellish it a little bit yeah uh or with an imagination so if you have all emotion space here and then you have an equals sign and you put all real space here, this is where your paint brushes and your paints and your oils and your acrylics and your canvas and you and the store, right? All real space here. And then all idea space over here, right? Like all ideas. Mm-hmm. And then the re- the relationship is similar to, um, it looks like multiple, application when you write it on paper or a whiteboard, like ideas times um, the real space um, um, equals the emotion space. Um, um, but okay, so this may, be, uh, this may be an experiment too difficult, but um, take all of idea space, sweep all ideas, right, all canvases, all mm-hmm. possible paintings that could possibly go on a canvas. Like, look at all those ideas. Now, um, when, you, when you look at, you know, you, your, your, your life, your workshop, your canvas, your paints, you're filtered, you mm-hmm. know, you've, you're, you've basically filtered what could possibly, you know, you've filtered to a particular uh, set of emotions, right? all Mm -hmm. the ideas still exist and all materials still exist but you just filtered your your um, reality to what's in your workshop and so you could find ideas that you can't access but you could find ideas that you could access and then get them on the anyways so Mm -hmm. um so um so i like to play with um visualizing the space and then filtering down to um to what's present um
0: yes i, I don't know think if that, that, helps. that there is a structure that exists in the universe somehow that it also exists um probably in our social domains and in our intellectual domains because it shows up in writing everywhere but it also shows up just in in the lived story of people's lives. And that's something called a chiasm. You heard, are you familiar chiasm? with the chiasm?
2: Mm-mm.
0: So, a Chiasm is a structure. It, it's, a, it's a structure like this. So it looks like an X, but it's where mm-hmm. you take a lot of potential and it gets narrowed, 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 narrowed. And then it has to go through a very tight space. And then when it comes out the other side, it gets wider and wider and wider, right? Mm. So the way it works out in writing, <clears throat> and there are quite a few passages in, in, in the Bible, in the scriptures that are built like this, where there'll be an idea, which is called like A. There'll be a line that would be A, and then there's a B line, a C line, a D line, and then E is the center point of the idea. And then then there would be D prime, C prime, B prime, A prime. So A prime and A are parallel concepts. B and B prime are parallel concepts. And when you're reading it, you can actually see this happening in the text. Mm -hmm. But it also happens with people's lives in the text. So the life of Joseph is like that. He starts out the son of a wealthy father. He has all these dreams of his future and everything is great. And then his life gets narrowed, narrowed, narrowed. He gets sold into slavery, He ends up in prison. But when he comes out the other side, his life gets broader and broader and more powerful until he is the second most powerful man in Egypt and he saves his people. So that chiastic structure takes place in the story verse of our human lives. Mm -hmm. It takes place in our literature. I think it also takes place in maybe even in electrical engineering. I don't know. I, I I have yeah. a suspicion that that there are certain structures in the, in electricity and so forth that have that. I mean, when I look at um, when I look at who was that famous physicist? I can't remember. his name just dropped out of my head in the 50s, 60s? Um, everybody, Feynman.
1: Theodore hmm? von yes, Feynman.
0: Feynman. Feynman. Okay. Feynman's little electrical diagrams you know they look very chiastic to me so i mean i think that Uh, that shows up in it shows up in biology chemistry it shows up in a lot of places so i think there are these structures that are sort of built into the universe that you see everywhere and and Mm. so this idea of ideas and um so you're saying that 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 there's a potential great potential number of ideas a great potential number of materials that could be used then what the artist does is they I think they have to design constraints and limitations for themselves to get that idea space and material space down to something manageable so that the flow can operate because <laughs> if they don't If they don't reduce it down, then you're faced with this infinite field of potential and you can't, you can't move forward, you get completely immobilized. Right. So there has Mm -hmm. to be the way that there's a path through is by bringing it down into something. And in a way, that's kind of the way thought works, because. You and I are completely different people because of the life experiences we've had, the education, the friends we've cultivated, the pictures that interested us, maybe the movies we saw, the songs we sang, all of those things built us something into us so that when a thought comes into us, it goes through that entire filter. And when it comes mm-hmm. out, it's something that's idiosyncratic just to me. Mm-hmm. And you have yours that's just to you. So then when we mm-hmm. communicate together, we have to try to rebuild the relationship. Between our two right. thought, right. Our two thought palaces, we have right. to we have to connect that up again so that we have mm-hmm. meaning again at the other end.
1: Interesting. Wow. Okay. All right. We're okay. Excellent. <laughs> this excellent. Um, um. So when I was a kid, I'm gonna launch into a story.
2: Yeah. But it okay.
1: totally will eventually tie back in. So when I was a kid, um. Uh, I was on the older end of the spectrum in our family so when two of my younger brothers one time were having a disagreement in the room across the hall um, I always was a thoughtful kind of person I could put myself in like a meditative state as a young kid Um, so anyway so I was in I was in a a sink right I was thinking and uh, my siblings across the hall were were just being little kids and uh, mom had to get involved so mom came upstairs and I hear him over in the other room and she's trying to figure out what was going on and, you know, how's this and how do I fix it? And and I remember just realizing, you know, if you don't realize what the problem was, you're not going to be able to find the most intelligent solution. You may be able to solve the worst parts of the problem, but uh, if you don't know what the problem is, you can't solve it. Right. And I just drilled that. I think I wrote it down. You know, like um, I just like if you don't know what the problem is, you can't solve it. And um, I forget how old I was, but it was uh, a young teen at least, right? And um, so then fast forward, I'm in my late 20s. And um, uh, um, uh, so, uh, so I was talking to a friend and about like a, a, a topic that's uh, taboo. And uh, I never talked about it or looked at it as a kid, but um, it was the topic of astrology. You know, and it's like, ah, oh, okay, what? Eh, you know. And um um and so, um, uh, first of all, there's no scientific basis for astrology at all. But um what what uh him and I were talking about, um, he's like, Yeah, that's actually like the the fundamental story in astrology. And I was like, What? You know, and um so but basically baked into uh and and uh well, this is not a good way to go about it, but um So so, um, basically, uh, the the story him and I were talking about is basically a, um, it's it's an analysis of like, it's a story about um, human culture and society and uh, individuals, personalities, and how we relate to each other, and how we can fail. And uh, negatively impact each other, um, but it's also a stor- the, the story I'm about to like try to recreate is also about um, trying to um, not fail and tr- trying to um, um, not hurt people the way we've been hurt. Um, and um, so um, so the, and the way, the way the story goes is. Um, it's, uh, 12 generation, it's a 12 generational story. Um, each generation has a unique strength, right? They have a unique strength that they're very good at, and it's a very valuable strength. It's all positive, right? Like each generation has a strength, um, and they, they live out the fullest potential of their strength, or at least they try to, um, but the strength has weaknesses, and those weaknesses um, uh, negatively impact different people, but the people that will feel it the most are the children, right? The children always feel it the most. So, um, so uh, the way that the story is encoded to make sure that you know you went from one generation to the next, uh, it always transitions from a father to a daughter, and then the daughter will grow up and be a mother to a son and then the son will grow up and be a father to a daughter, right? So, uh, so it transitions gender um, at each generation. Um, uh, and, and just the way that they drew it uh, many years ago, I don't think there's anything, um, say, special about the story other than it's just an interesting story, the way that it's designed. But the way that they drew it is the first six generations um, all of the strengths and failures are focused at the individual level. And the second six are focused at the cultural or group level. Um, and um, and uh, which those are kind of opposites right there, you know, individual versus group, right? So that so you have a, kind of a binary opposition right there. But then uh, each generation, if you go directly across the, um, the cycle uh, to what's on the opposite side of the cycle, they have an opposite strength and an opposite weakness, right? Like with what this one is known for, that one's known for the opposite. Um, so anyways, so it's the story. And, and once you kind of know the pattern or the program of the story, you can just recreate it knowing the very beginning um and so the very beginning is um uh being strong at expressing yourself right who who am i A- answering that question right that's the strength of the first father right is uh you know it, it's an expression of yourself um and uh the, the the and so that's so that's what the very first generation is really good at it's i am this i'm right? This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I like. This is what I care for. This is who I take care of, right? It's about, um, you know, exerting yourself. The, the weakness with that is um, you are what, right? Like where, where, where are you, right? Yeah. So you are, you know, th- like the child complaining about the daughter complaining about the father. Yeah, you are big and important, but you know, like, like what's going on around you, you know, you're all focused on yourself. Um, and so the daughter improves on the father's shortcoming of not being fully aware of the surroundings, just being aware of himself. And um, and so she knows her environment. She knows where she is. I am here. I'm right here, right. I'm not going to make that same mistake of running around, smashing into things accidentally. Uh, I'm right here. I'm in the middle of a field, right. And I'm not going to move. And then the 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 son. For, for that mother, right? His mother was so stubborn, she would never move, right? Um, so the son is able to consider options. He's able to go, you know, it's not so much about just being in one place, it's about being able to consider possibilities and go uh, take the better possibility you have to be able to move. Um, and so then the, um, the daughter to that son, um, what she felt most, from her father was he never cared, right? So um, yeah, you know, he was always able to consider the options and pick the best option, but he never really cared. So so that daughter grows up and is uh, incredibly caring, uh, nurtures everyone around her, you know, like a nurse or uh, a teacher, Um, uh, maybe not a teacher, more like a nurse. But anyway, it's just very nurturing, very caring. Uh, the problem with that, the son notices, is that, hey, mom was the doormat, right? Like everybody just, you know, kind of, so anyway, you can kind of see how you go through the generations and by the time you get to the last, um, the last generation, what the last generation is very good at is understanding the group uh, and understanding the individuals because um, each generation doesn't forget what the previous generation learned. Uh, They benefit from all the learning uh, until you get to the end of the cycle where they benefit from all the learning, but the shortcoming of the last is that they forget who they are, right? They understand everybody else so well, they don't know who they really are. Um, And so their shortcoming is they don't exert themselves. Like, who are you? Who am I? Um, And so that's what their child Fixes, uh, and it starts the cycle over. Um, and so, uh, and so, there's this story of um, this uh, kind of 12-step uh, cycle, um, which is a, a story about human culture, human society, uh, personalities, um, the way that you have different roles that interact with each other uh, to make everything work. Um, and uh, I don't know how old the story is. Like I can see the stories there. Somebody else thought of it a long time before me, um, but I've never really heard anybody else talk about it. Um,
0: so just to clarify, this is the story that you see in the, in the 12 astrological signs?
1: Yeah, maybe astrological science is... Um, um, uh, I wouldn't use that. But yes, yeah, basically. Uh, so when you look at the kind of the the stories that are the stories that are around um, the the taboo topic of astrology, um, you see this uh, you see this underlying story.
0: I see. Um, okay. Yeah, because I've never looked at the taboo. A, I've never looked at the taboo. <laughs> so.
1: Well, I, the way I was raised, it was all kind of taboo. Uh. I know in I know in Genesis uh, on David for right god created the stars for for signs and seasons and mm-hmm. uh, and i know that when when jesus was born there was an astrological indication mm-hmm. that uh wise men were able to pick up on um but um but you well, know and most
0: uh, recently i had several conversations with wolfgang smith who's a very prominent philosopher physicist mathematician who's also a really dedicated Catholic, and um, very knowledgeable in theology, and he seems to think that there is something in astrology that's, that's meaningful, so I didn't have an opportunity to delve into that with him, but um, I have a number of his books, so I'm going to take a look and see if I can see if I can run across something that he says about that because <clears throat> I am, I,
1: um, I, I'm not familiar with, um, um, I'm not familiar with anything in astrology that I would use with a level of confidence when designing uh, either an electrical a mechanical yeah. or a chemical yeah. type For of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, So as an engineer, I'm not sure if there's anything that's useful for me there um, as an engineer. But as a thinker uh, or someone that just enjoys, um, uh, how do you take a story? How do you take something that you see so clearly and encode it in a story that Mm -hmm. can, can be told and retold and retold again and again and again? And the story won't be lost. Well, to do that, you have to create a, you have to create a pattern, you have to create a program. You have to create um, uh, a main storyline that's interesting enough for it to be passed down um, by someone who's less interested and less able than perhaps yourself. Um, and: and uh, so yeah, that, I, I've That's
0: seen, really good. That's really rich. I, yeah.. yeah.
1: So I see that there. I think this main story of generational improvement, every generation is trying to do the best they can and solve the problems that came before them, but they're gonna, and they're they're gonna succeed. They're not gonna make the same mistake that their parent made, but you're gonna make your own mistakes. And your mistakes are gonna affect your children and they're gonna do the same thing you're doing. They're gonna try and do their best with what they have, where they're at, but they're going to make mistakes and it's going to affect the next generation. And it's going to always, this is a cycle that's always going to continue um, as long as the stories continue. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Um, But so, so I'm not sure how much is in the astrology books um, that's actually useful, Um, but there is this underlying story uh, that, um, that everything kind of builds around. Um, uh, And the other thing is, um, I mean, today we can pull out a pen and pull out a notebook and write something down, but if we go back not that far, you could be hundreds of miles away or hundreds of miles and hundreds of years away from a pen and a paper and have a great story? How, how do you pass that story down?
2: Mm-hmm. If
1: you're hundreds of miles away from a pen and paper, and you want to pass a story down, you have to find a program, you have to find a, a pattern to encode it in.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's the other thing that I think you see in astrology is that they they looked into the night sky, and, the, and they made stories out of those stars so that they could um, encode the pattern that they saw. They could tell a story about the pattern that they saw so that maybe sometimes those things in the sky don't move that fast, but it might be generations before some part of it moves. And then when that happens, People had a pattern to go by. Well, this is what it looked like 300 years ago, and now this is what it looks like. So they had to find the pattern, and then they tell a story about the pattern because that preserves the pattern for the mm-hmm. next generation and the generation after that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I always thought they must have amazing imaginations because when I look at those stars, I don't see those patterns that they saw. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the, the only one that I can I can really clearly see the dipper the little dipper and the big dipper yeah i can see that and i can see the belt of orion yeah that looks like a belt
2: <laughs> yeah but, yeah but
0: the rest of it i'm like that does not look like a lion that does not look like yeah. a lady you know
1: <clears throat> so so um so here's one way i've used astrology to answer a question a philosophical question that uh, may already have an answer that satisfied people i'm pretty sure question get pushed around longer than the answers, uh, you know, even after answers are, are satisfactorily given. But, um, uh, so there's the question, um, like, uh, I don't know who's posing it even, but um, let's say you're the conductor of a train and you control the switch to take, take it to a different track. Or let's say you're the observer of a train Controlling a switch to divert it to a different track. Um, And let's say, you know, both tracks have a bad outcome. Um, So either track it goes down, you know, bad outcome is going to happen. What do you do with the switch, right? You're in control. And um, the way uh, astrology has helped me solve the problem, right? No, just like the story, like transforming to a story domain. I'm playing with it over there and then coming back um, is uh, so um, uh, Sagittarius is the half horse, half human archer. Right. Um, And Sagittarius is the 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 generation or the character uh, in the story, um, which is most interested in um, truth-seeking um, and truth-seeking at the group or the culture level. So truth-seeking, not just internally, but like as a, at the group level. And um, uh, it's an archer. So he's about to shoot an arrow, or that's what he does. He shoots arrows. Um, and so the solution as an engineer um, uh, thinking about like a self-driving car that has to make a bad decision, right? Um, uh, the solution is uh, basically Sagittarian, which is you fire out uh, threat messages, right? So you send out a threat of like, hey, I'm a big train, I'm headed your way. Do you want me to come down this track? And you, you listen for a beg, So you send a threat, and you listen for a beg both directions. And you've got all your observations from both directions. If you only get a beg from one direction, and you're programmed compassionately, and you don't observe an unannounced beg, you go the way that it hasn't been begged against, right? Um, So. it's it's a form of truth-seeking. It's very Sagittarian. But mm. uh, yeah, anyways. But yeah, so that's one way that maybe learning the stories of astrology can help you transform to a different story domain and then come back and solve just the engineering problem. Okay, how are we going to code this? All right, well, let's code in a, a threat, beg, you know, compassion equation into our decision matrix. And it's, it's just as simple as that.
0: Um now when with you working on uh, integrated circuits you do, you you're working at the hardware level right so you don't run into those kinds of
1: yeah yeah so um so i design circuits that go on the printed circuit boards and um uh last year and early this year i designed a control board for an air conditioner so if you go to a hotel room, there may be an electronics board in the air conditioner that brought it to life, right? Mm-hmm. So when you push the button or you touch the wall, stat, you know, something, some electrons may, if it's the one I did, some electrons will be flowing through copper that, uh, that I drew.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and for the month or two that I was designing the board, um, like in earnest, like that was the design stage I was at. Um, I would uh, basically wake up in like a REM sleep um, every day and kind of go over the board um, and then find things that needed to change. Um, uh, That's just the way that uh, good design engineers work. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so, yeah, so I, yeah, anyways, so I, 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 I basically design boards and circuits and capture schematics and And um, it's about to be obsolete. Um, Check this out. So um, before the end of my career, uh, I won't be drawing uh, copper, right? Uh, I won't be drawing schematics. I'll be um, uh, interacting with an AI-enabled CAD tool. And I'll uh, describe at kind of a higher level um, what I'm looking at and the schematic will be captured um and the layout will be um the the components will be oriented a certain way and then uh, i'll basically be yes i like that yes i like that yes this is good no no not that this well, needs to do change you have
0: way. a high level of confidence that 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 that's the way it's going to work i mean oh like, absolutely. But like when you wake up in your REM sleep and you're you're picturing this board yes you have a relationship with the materials basically because you know you know what the materials can do you know what your end goal is and you know what you need to get there and and that's all processing inside your head and if you say to an ai this is the outcome i want do you have a high degree of certainty that it will find uh, the best path for that outcome?
1: Uh, So here's um, uh, so yes, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story a different way. Um, So to make the control boards that I made, uh, it took me um, a couple months of my life uh, because I had to do a bunch of stuff. Um, It was kind of a brand new design Um, a lot of the CAD files, like, uh, I had to create a whole set of libraries, like part libraries, uh, for the board. Um, so, uh, it was very involved. I would say that there was probably 10 million clicks, right? So every design project that an engineer does, you could count the clicks of the mouse, right? Click, 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 um, or keystrokes, click, click, click. And it's probably, I don't know, 10 million clicks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to click every one of them, right. I had to do every drag, every click, every keystroke. And, um, uh, so I think in, within 10 years, a lot of the, a lot of the work that's, um, being required or being done by design engineers is going to be automated by AI. Um, Mm. so, um, so yeah, so there's It's a lot of work um, that will kind of just disappear Um, and um, uh, the, um, yeah, so um, anyways, I'm trying not to use my equations to describe stuff uh, too much, but. I don't don't mind.
0: um, (laughs) I don't um, mind. I like your (laughs) equation.
1: So so, so basically, uh, force is ability times ambition. And is AI. The, is that the spring uh,
0: one? Is that your spring? Yes. yes. The, okay.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, so force is ability times ambition. That's analogous to the spring. Um, but ability, if you give me a CAD tool, then I'm able to use this CAD tool. And if it takes 10 million clicks, I'm only able to do it if I do the 10 million clicks. Right? Now, if you give me an ai enabled cad tool and i can do it with a hundred clicks in an afternoon now you've just given me a non-linear increase in my ability function if my ambition is zero it has no effect on my force that i can exert but if my ambition was definitely not zero. It was high. I wanted to do a lot of stuff. I wanted to build this. I wanted to build that. I wanted to see this. I wanted to do that. Right. Then you just gave me a nonlinear increase in my ability function. Uh, That's a nonlinear, that's a nonlinear increase in my force function um, that I can exert.
0: Well, I I guess the thing that, that, that I wonder about, I mean, I have no idea because I don't really understand exactly how AI works and I don't understand how what you're doing works, but I do think about time as an element here. And because it took you two months, you developed new thoughts and new ideas that made it a more beautiful and robust outcome than it would have been if you had done it that first afternoon. So even if you can sit down with an AI-enabled cat in an afternoon and say, this is what we need, because that time element hasn't taken place, it's really just a rough approximation of your first go at it. Even if the AI can do the details appropriately, it may not end up being the beautiful thing that you created over a two-month period of pondering. you see what I'm saying?
1: Yes. Yes, yes. Um, I see what you're saying um, um, the um, um, there's it's it's a very rich that's a very rich connection to the to the topic. so um, just to create a separation Or an artificial separation for a moment. And I say artificial because I'm both an artist and engineer. Um, uh, So, as an engineer taking off the artist hat, um, the way uh, engineering works is um, that's okay, right? It's okay to go with something that an AI generates and you didn't have an artist uh, lovingly draw. so it's it's okay to do that, um, and then as the artist, um, uh, it's like giving it's like giving me a different paintbrush. Um, it's like uh, giving me a uh, a different um, medium to express the art in, because today. Um, I receive a paycheck, and I pay for the roof over my head, the shed in my backyard, the beer I drink, um, based on my ability to draw one click at a time, one line at a time, or one group of lines at a time. Uh, what eventually becomes copper on a on a fiberglass board, um, where chips get soldered to it, right? But um, but in the future. There will be a different tool that artists use at a different level. It will still the tool will still be drawing copper on a board, the
2: mm-hmm. way
1: that the artist wants it. But um, but it, it's it's going to be at a different level. Uh, uh, here's here's the story. Here's the exciting story to um, kind of um, uh, think about in this. So the very first chip that I learned was the 555 timer. Um, it was the first circuit that I breadboarded. It was, a, it's a little small eight pin chip that um, puts out a square wave, right? So you can make an LED blink on and off. It it's not crazy impressive, but, um, but it's, it's actually the first thing that a lot of people learn when they uh, are starting to learn electrical engineering. Um, and. That chip was designed by uh, an electrical engineer who um, uh, he was out in Silicon Valley. He had just gotten hired at a big company, um, but they lost some government contracts. And um, so they laid off half of their engineers. He was still there, but morale was really low. He wanted to go write a book, um, and, but he needed to pay for life right he had like uh he was married with i think three kids or one kid i don't know he had he had kids and um so he told the marketing guy hey uh i i kind of want to do i want to make this chip right i want i want to do it from home i want to make this chip i want to write my book at the same time and um by the way he has a very excellent he wrote an excellent book it's free as a pdf on um uh basically a short synopsis or bio of the scientists and engineers behind electricity and magnetism um so anyways that was one of the books he wrote but um so, so when, the, when my, we're
0: done talking send me the name of that book and the author and i'll put it in the information sure. section
1: yeah hans hans kamen but uh, anyways he uh, I'll, I'll send it to you for sure um so he uh so the marketing guy um uh, uh according to hans kamen uh, the marketing guy had a workbench at home, and he would solder electronics. So he described the chip that he wanted to make to the marketing guy, and the marketing guy was like, "Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, go ahead and let's do that." You know, so the marketing guy greenlit. You know, the marketing guy said, "Let's do it on what would become most electrical engineers' entry point to circuits," mm-hmm. um, which is kind of crazy, right? that this, this chip kind of just happened in this chaotic you know, layoffs. I got to find something else. I want to do this other thing, right? Um, so anyways, so they paid him. Uh, he designed it at home on paper, right? He designed it on paper. Um, it worked the first time, right? Um, just like crazy. And, um, and then he went on and he started a company. He had like a 30-person company, the engineer did doing something else with different chips, right? Like that chip, he never made money from that chip, really. Um, And then later in, he sold his company. And later in his life, uh, he passed away in 2012. But later in his life, um, he told his son that I'm now with CAD because he designed that chip on paper. Mm -hmm. And then, then he had a whole company that was on paper. And then CAD tools came out and he told his son, I'm doing more. With CAD, than my entire thirty-person company did,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and uh, nobody seems to have like really talked. I don't know if CAD got the same hype that uh, AI is getting, but um, we're about to go from non-AI enabled CAD tools to AI enabled CAD tools, and it's going to be for for a couple people. It will be like. I used to have a 30 person company. Now I do more just Mm -hmm. on my own. Um, So so we already experienced that in recent memory and we're going to experience it in the next 10 years again um, with uh, engineers getting their hands on AI enabled CAD tools. Um,
0: Well, it's wonderful to talk with someone like you who has such a positive, um, uh, positive uplifting outlook about it. So that's really good.
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm yeah. super excited.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah, this, is, this is this has been a great conversation, Nolan. And I hope we can do this again because I'd like to hear more about your art. Yeah. So uh
1: I uh well we'll have to save it for the next time, but um I, I only have one, one or two pieces, oil. Is that done. back there? Yeah, should That's I grab all? it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um In 2016, uh, I called up one of my sisters and I said, hey, she's the artist in the family. And I said, hey, let's uh, let's do something. And, uh, you know, so I bought a bottle of wine and some painting supplies and then we got together. And um, and so this was what this was the one I did. But um, that's
0: the first thing uh, I
1: started doing it. Say it again.
0: That's the first thing you ever did.
1: Um, I think it was number five or six. So I'd already practiced before, Uh but, um, what, what was unique about this one was I I was doing the brushing. Right. And I couldn't get it. It wasn't coming out. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. oil, you know, it's hard to get. And so, um, it was on this, it was, um, it was on this right down here where I started playing with, where just like I started kind of mixing it on the canvas. And then, um, a kid that lived, um, in the apartment above mine, saw me painting on it while he was walking past. And so we were talking about it and this and that. And he was like, um, that's called stippling, right? Oh. Where you kind of do the, uh-huh. So uh-huh. I didn't even know the name of the stuff. So I had to reinvent stippling.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so, but, but yeah, so that was, um, that was, that was, that was uh, yeah. So, and uh, um, I forget names. The, the last artist that you had on. Um,
0: Josh Tyson.
1: Yeah, the the picture of the beach driftwood, um,
0: uh-huh.
1: the painting of the beach driftwood, the like the contrasts on the wood. Um, one of the things about this that I've always been well, not always, but um, like l- less satisfied with was um, there's actually in the photograph more contrast on the center of the flower, and when I was painting it, I had it there, and I just got less confident and so I made it more even and -hmm. I've always felt like uh if only I'd have been more bold to explore the contrast uh in the flower.
0: Um well when I first started painting I did watercolors and uh and I was walking through a like an art fair or something with my daughter and my (laughs) son-in-law and I saw a picture of this um, older home it was a painting of an older home with a flag hanging out front but it had really deep rich shadows and really brilliant light coming in and and i said man i wish i had the courage to paint like that and they said well why don't you and i said well it's very easy to make mistakes with watercolor and paper it's so expensive (laughs) because you know a piece of watercolor paper is like ten dollars which to me at wow. that time seemed like a lot of money. And my son-in-law, yeah. said, I'm gonna buy you 10 pieces of paper. Just do whatever you feel like. It's just paper. <laughs> and and that really was kind of what started opening some doors where I started to think, oh, I could be, I could be more courageous, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: So uh, it, it's really hard once you have a painting and then you kind of like it and then you think, but what if I screw it up by doing this, you know? So yeah. uh, you kind of have to have this. It's perfectly okay if it gets messed up. It's just a painting, you know? Right. Or where that came from. There's, right. you know, there's a lot of stuff in your head that can, that, that's one of the fascinating things I think about what you're doing, like what they do in Silicon Valley is where information becomes physical. You have this picture in your head and then it becomes copper wire on a, on a piece of fiberglass, right? It, it's just, mm. it starts out as an idea and then it becomes something that fits into something else that makes this, you know, computer I'm looking at or makes the air conditioner or whatever. These ideas turn into physical things in our world. And uh, that's why... It's not hard for me to imagine that the world was created because there was an idea in the mind of God, and then, then this world just came out of that. So, but that's another story for another time. So
1: yeah, yeah. Can I can I close with one kind of um, open ended thing?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Or, or at least that'll be the last thing I I have. I I, I want to get it out though. So when I was uh, painting on this. Um, I came up with the idea and I told my sister at the time like hey uh, what if I make um a CNC like a 3D printer but instead of 3D printing plastic um, it would paint you know like a mm-hmm. uh, basically a, a machine to do the oil painting mm-hmm. and then um and then I could have a computer program where I upload a picture and it would uh give me different renditions or versions uh, mm-hmm. of ways it could it could paint it and all of the strokes would have to be stuff I've trained the machine to be able to do, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole, I, I would have to create the whole machine, all the little joints and actuators and how it's going to grab the brush and where it would put the paints and how it would mix them and how it would sense color and how it would sense depth and uh-huh. so um, so as an engineer, i have to make all that to me, that's art.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when the machine would create a painting, that's art. Um, so, uh, so maybe one day after I win the lottery, the second time, you know, not the first time, but the second time uh, I, I'll try and build that machine. So maybe one day I'll, I'll have that machine and I can show you. But, um, but my, my sister was like, that kind of takes the art out of it, and I thought about that, and I was like, no, I think it makes it squared, right? Like art times art, um, where the machine is art, and then the paint, the, the painting on canvas is also art, so it's like art squared. Um, and I think if um, uh, I think meditating on that kind of relationship of the, the engineer, the machine, and the canvas um, is that helps answer a question that comes up in my equations um, of like what is the multiplication? So if you say flow equals conductivity times uh, potential, like wh- what do we mean by times, right? Um, to me, it's a productive evaluation um, and the best like story to help people sort of see that would be the machine and the, the canvas um, like art squared. So it's art times art. Um, but yeah, maybe that was one. Maybe that's one story too far.
0: No, um, no, no. I, I mean, I. I'm going to ponder that and, and maybe we can talk about that next time we get together. Cause I, yeah, part of me agrees with you because I do think that even like coding is an art. And I think what you do in building these, 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 uh, these circuits is an art. Um, but part of me agrees with your sister that if you put the machine in between, but, but there is this other thing that, there's a potential there that by putting the machine in between you've added another layer of anomaly. And I think anomaly is what separates um, photography from from what's called fine arts because once the hand of the artist gets involved, there's opportunity for imperfections and those imperfections add to the beauty of the art. And so you if you integrate a machine in between there that, creates another layer with a potential for anomaly, because there could be little waves in the way that the machine arm moves that's different than a human arm would move, or something like that that would create another level of imperfection that might add to the final result.
1: Right. Right, right. right. Did you know that every typewriter? The keys were all unique. You could get out a microscope and see a unique like defect on a mm-hmm. key. Mm -hmm. and then uh in like world war ii they would use that to be able to see where the letter came from you
0: Mm -hmm. know yeah um yeah yeah, because of like because of the idiosyncratic nature of each person's um pounding on the keys yeah yeah
2: Yeah. well even just in the way the key is
0: built in the first place but then damage that's done through different impress of the people's hands and so forth yeah
1: yeah and uh and that effect on the canvas yeah interesting yeah. wow so, so much yeah so much. fascinating well, talking
0: you. nolan so let me know yeah. what you're thinking in the future and we'll we'll try to put another one of these together
1: okay all okay all right thank you karen
0: okay thank i
1: really you. enjoy getting to know you
0: i enjoyed getting to know you too very much okay have a great day
1: all right bye